Tonight's stormy weather, the lower mainland and interior hit with thousands of lightning strikes, and it's not over yet. Plus, the bottom line is what the police did reasonable in the circumstances. Questions after a missing woman is found dead in her home. And I could see that it was laced with a bunch of uh, sewing needles. A man walking his dog makes a disturbing discovery on a Burnaby trail. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. It was a wild night for thousands across several BC communities as intense thunder and lightning storms swept through last night. The extreme weather not only proving a spectacular show for us, but also sparking a number of fires. And as Jordan Armstrong reports, the threat of more lightning strikes isn't over yet. A shocking start to the supper hour in Kamloops. Holy sh Saturday's storm ignited a rooftop and sparked several grass fires in the city. Our dispatch center reported over 200 incoming 911 calls to deal with the situation. Uh, at one point in time, all Kamloops fire resources were deployed on incidents and we had to bring back supplementary crews to help uh, deal with the, the call volume. From Armstrong to Lac La Hache, and Canada's houseboat capital, Sycamus. Interior communities saw more than 7,000 lightning strikes as a cold front swept through the province. By 9 p.m., it was the Lower Mainland and the Fraser Valley's turn. We had a system push up from the south, bringing an intense storm. We had excessive lightning and heavy rain push its way in. Thankfully, no major power outages here, just a few small ones. It was a different story in Washington State, where more than 18,000 customers were in the dark in the Puget Sound area. If you enjoyed Saturday's show, the forecast will have you amped up. More of this could be on the way. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. And meteorologist Yvonne Schell will have a detailed forecast coming up in just a few minutes. A disturbing discovery on a Burnaby Mountain trail yesterday. Jeff Kerr was walking his two rescue dogs along the North Road, uh, North Road Trail, that is, at around 4.30 yesterday, when he noticed his Husky Cross Murphy had something in her mouth. A closer look revealed it was a piece of raw beef with at least 12 sewing needles stuck in it. Fortunately, Murphy dropped the meat a few moments later. Kerr put it in a doggy waste bag and also noticed it was stuffed with corn, peppercorns, and cranberries. He put it in the garbage. Burnaby RCMP say they were late alerted to the incident but could not provide more information. I don't know if it's somebody has a, uh, an issue with people with dogs or if it's they're trying to target cougars and bears. Uh, I have no idea. But um, it was definitely intent to injure, I would say. Nobody in their right mind would really do something like that uh, unless they had some serious issues. If I hadn't noticed it, if she had uh, ingested it, I mean, I, I think it probably would have been the end of her. A man in his 20s died overnight in a two-vehicle crash in Surrey. Police were called to Nordell Way just east of Scott Road just after 1 o'clock this morning. Police say a Camaro and Mustang collided, causing the Mustang to slam into a hydro pole. A male passenger in that car died at the scene. The driver of the Mustang suffered serious but non-life-threatening injuries. The two men in the Camaro were not seriously hurt. RCMP say it was raining heavily at the time, but did not say whether weather was a factor in the collision.
A tragic development tonight in the search for a missing North Vancouver woman. Last week, police had put out a plea for any sign of Elizabeth Napierala, but her body has been found in her own home. As Kristen Robinson explains, the police watchdog agency, the IIO, is now investigating the response by officers in the initial search. Wednesday, September 4th, North Shore rescue crews search by ground and air for any sign of Elizabeth Napierala. We've been looking for, for two days now. We're putting everything we have on this. The 45-year-old last seen Monday, September 2nd, at her home in North Vancouver's Woodcroft complex. BC's police watchdog says RCMP filed a missing person report on September 3rd following a welfare check here. Two days later, Napierala was found dead in her own home. We're going to look at all the actions of the police. We're going to see, look at what we can determine as to what they did in terms of their welfare checks. Did officers somehow miss Napierala during the welfare check? Or was she not home, managing to slip back in later? Her building, one of six that a worker tells Global News, is each monitored by its own security personnel. Those are exactly the questions that we're asking. Uh, did the police do an adequate check for her in the initial instance? Um, were there things they could, should have done or should reasonably have done that they didn't do? As for what a welfare check typically entails, Ron McDonald says every situation is different. Sometimes they'll go to home knock on the door. Sometimes they'll actually uh, go into a residence and search around a residence. The bottom line is, um, is what the police did reasonable in the circumstances? North Vancouver RCMP not commenting as the police watchdog probes whether officers' actions or inaction may have played a role in Napierala's death. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Rescuers are trying to get to an injured hiker at Lions Bay tonight. Members of Lines Bay Search and Rescue were called out this afternoon after learning a man hiking with two children and another adult fell 45 meters down the House Soundcrest Trail. He suffered a severe laceration to his leg along with facial and back injuries. Complicating the situation? Poor weather. It means that rather than a long line rescue, they'll have to put him on a stretcher and carry him out. It took some time to get to the hiker because he didn't stay where he was. And then uh, the subjects um, uh, took it upon themselves to continue moving when they were requested to stay put. So we've, we've been playing a bit of a cat and mouse game. So uh, it's really important if you do call for services uh, that you do stay put. Uh, it, it's helpful for uh, SAR. Uh, so we have a, a point where we normally go to. Uh, and in this case, uh, the subjects were actually moving away from our searchers. An update tonight on the news that a former junior hockey coach at the Burnaby Winter Club is facing child pornography charges. His identity has not been released, but today a meeting was held for parents. Grace Key has more. We're just in front of the Burnaby Winter Club where a meeting was held late this afternoon with parents, board members and the Port Moody police. So we are learning some new information about this individual. Now, he's no longer affiliated with this organization. He was a coach last year and then an assistant coach in 2013. He would have gone through screening and a background check. Now, there is a publication ban. His name is not being released and it's unclear whether or 
not any victims came from this organization. But police are saying that he was charged on Wednesday. Those, those charges include possession of child pornography and luring a child under 16. We did speak with the board president and police after the meeting. The Port Moody Police has been engaged in a very complex and ongoing uh, investigation uh, involving uh, somebody who was in, in the youth com- uh, hockey community. Um, we identified that uh, he was directly involved here at the Burnaby Winter Club most recently, and that was the purpose for us contacting them. As a parent, it's horrifying. You know, we all try to protect our children, and, um, you know, thinking that that, that there may have been um, a situation that your, your kids are in danger is something that's going to scare any parent. Parents were given these pamphlets. Now, it does uh, talk about apps that parents should know about and parenting young people in this digital world. Certainly a lot of parents upset upon hearing this news. And again, police saying that this investigation is still ongoing. In Burnaby, Grace Key, Global News. Surrey RCMP are asking for your help to find a missing man. Glenn Church was last seen August 26th in the 10700 block of 135A Avenue in Surrey. He has not been seen or heard from since, and his family is concerned about his well-being. 56-year-old Church is six foot one, 175 pounds, and has brown hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information is asked to call Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. And Vancouver police are also asking for your help to find a missing senior with disabilities. Gary Molyneux was last seen Saturday along Maine and Hastings. Police are concerned for his safety after he did not return to his care center. Molyneux is paralyzed from a stroke. He can't speak and uses a motorized wheelchair. He's 5'7", has medium build, short gray hair and brown eyes. He requires medication for his diabetes and may seem confused. If you see him, you're asked to please call 911 and remain with him until first responders arrive. As we first told you last weekend, a petition to rename a Langley skate park after a teen who died of a suspected drug overdose is gaining traction. And now there are hopes the proposal will involve more than a memorial. 14-year-old Carson Cremeni was laid to rest yesterday in a private ceremony at Surrey's Valley View Cemetery. The teen's close family was in attendance. Their closing words? Seeking justice for Carson. Carson died last month of an apparent overdose after meeting some older teens at the skate park who it is believed fed him a lethal dose of drugs. When Carson went into distress, the teens mocked him while recording on their phones instead of helping him. Carson's family supports a Langley man's petition to rename the Walnut Grove Skate Park after Carson and hopes it can prevent another tragedy by including signage on overdose prevention or education about the Good Samaritan Act. It offers protection for people who witness an overdose and call 911 for help. The petition will be going to Langley Township Council. We need to work on this thing. We need to find a solution so we can prevent some things like this happening now and in the future. If you see something, certainly say something. But some people may be afraid to get involved. So ask the next person or ask somebody else. Ask another adult. Knock on a neighbor's door. Do whatever you can to help. This is a situation. Uh, we can teach it in schools. We can teach it in a community center. We can work it. But it's the, up to the individual person at the time to make the decision. And it's so important. A man was arrested in Kamloops this week for allegedly using moving vehicles for target practice. Police received reports of a person firing paintballs at a car near a local Costco. 
A suspect with a similar description was spotted threatening a pedestrian. Officers caught up with the suspect, taking him into custody at gunpoint. Nigel Alexander Cox faces one count each of possessing a weapon for a dangerous purpose and of mischief. He is set to appear in court tomorrow. A special commemoration event was held today in Vancouver to mark the 79th anniversary of the Battle of Britain. Veterans and current members of the military gathered at the Air Force Garden of Remembrance in Stanley Park this afternoon for a parade and to light the lamp of brotherhood. The battle is considered a turning point in the Second World War in which Britain was able to prevent a German invasion. 100 Canadian Air Force pilots participated in the battle. And the victory eventually led to the liberation of France and Europe. Well, we like to have the Air Cadets on parade. Uh, of course, they form the majority of the parade here. Um, and it's one way of, of making them understand what went on in that time and, uh, and why that battle is important to the Air Force. Today is also International Grandparents Day. The Parent Support Services Society of BC is asking people wherever they live in the province to make a special effort to celebrate the role of grandparents in our lives. The society is also focusing on the growing number of grandparents and other relatives who take on the enormous responsibility of parenting when parents aren't able to. Over about the last 12, 12 13 years, we've known a, noticed a growing phenomena. About a third of our circles today are now grandparents who are raising their grandchildren. That's not, that's not babysitting their grandchildren, but looking after their grandchildren 100% of the time. Grandparents and other kin that are doing it. So we use Grandparents' Day as a, as a day to shine a light on this issue. For years, we've heard the bad news about salmon stocks on our West Coast, but recently there's been some good news from the sport fishing industry of great runs of Chinook salmon. And as Paul Johnson tells us, that's making anglers and guides very happy. How about this for a day's fishing out of Vancouver? It was an excellent day on the water. And a lot of other sport fishermen are saying the same thing right now. After a dismal start to the season, with DFO only allowed catch and release fishing for Chinook salmon, which sent a chill through the Lower Mainland's charter operators, things turned around in a big way in early August. It went from a doom and gloom scenario from a business standpoint, just to sheer amazement in terms of the actual numbers of Chinook that were out there. Jason Asinides is the owner of Bon Chovy Charters in Vancouver. He and a number of other charter operators in the Lower Mainland tell Global News that this summer's local Chinook fishing is among the best they've ever seen. This year, by far, for numbers of Chinook, has been the best year that I've seen. Not only are the charter operators saying there's more fish in the water this year, they're also saying the Chinook this year are bigger than in years past, including a report of one 45-pound Chinook landed off the mouth of the Fraser River in the past couple of days, which would make that one a certified tie. But the great Chinook fishing of 2019 comes at a time when there seems to be only bad news about BC's salmon stocks. Sockeye returns on the Fraser are coming in at a fraction of what was expected. No one is sure why. 
and those that have turned up are facing the obstacle of a rock slide in the Fraser. The crews have been working flat out to help them get around. We are trying our best to get the message out that some Chinook stocks are not doing well and they need to be addressed. The ones that are doing well, they should be celebrated and really looked at why they're doing so well. So for the next couple of weeks, you should expect some big smiles on docks throughout the south coast. The Chinook is the king of the salmon family, and the king still reigns in B.C. waters. Paul Johnson, Global News. Well, the weather wasn't perfect, but hundreds of people came out to participate in this year's Parkinson's Superwalk. Ready? Today's annual event began just after 10 o'clock this morning in Stanley Park. It's one of about 24 walks happening across the province this month. Money raised will go to help fund support services and research for the more than 13,000 British Columbians living with Parkinson's, including the program director of CKNW. I mean, when you have Parkinson's, it's a really lonely disease. And so when you come here and you see other people that you're like, oh, yeah, you got that too? You don't feel so alone, you know? And so you, you build camaraderie and brotherhood and sisterhood. And it's just, it's really great atmosphere. I mean, it's, it, it, it provides positivity in a life that can be really negative at times. The SBCA's Pause for a Cause kicked off in Vancouver's David Lamb Park this morning. One of seven events happening across the province today. People who love animals, dogs in particular, brought their pups and walked together to help raise funds for local SBCA branches, which provide shelter, emergency care and other services. Last year, the walk raised nearly $420,000. Well, it's so important for the public to come out to events like this. We appreciate it so much because all of our services and programs are funded by public donations. And so that includes all of our cruelty investigations, our sheltering work, all of our med uh, veterinary bills, which are in the millions every year, and then all of our advocacy work and our humane education work with young children. Relative calm has returned to the Maritimes where Dorian hit as a hurricane yesterday, then was downgraded to a post-tropical storm. It caused widespread damage and mass power outages. Global's Jesse Thomas shows us why the cleanup is going to be a difficult challenge. Restoration crews were at work early Sunday morning as post-Dorian cleanup continued. Some crews have worked around the clock. They're focused on clearing down trees, blocking roadways across the region. Many residents were out early doing their part. And I heard the tree snap and turned around and actually saw it fall directly into the windshield. Dorian made a mess, but in terms of the passing tropical storm, Halifax may have dodged a bullet. Early reports show the eye of the storm passed south of Halifax. Although the winds did reach um, well into the hurricane force category, uh, some of those strongest winds didn't quite make it on shore, so in that respect, absolutely. But the front end of the storm did bring wind gusts. When landfall happened, we're clocked between 120 to 150 kilometers an hour range. Toppling a tower crane, where police remain on scene Sunday, Police Chief Dan Kinsella said police did speak with the construction company and others about securing sites before Dorian. The Ministry of Labour has been contacted and they are going to be looking into the details around how and why the crane itself collapsed. It will be their investigation to uh, complete and, and continue. 
The site will remain closed for the investigation, meaning no work will be allowed. We're obviously concerned about uh, what happened on some of the construction sites and the debris that happened. Uh, but I, I think one thing that is demonstrated to all Nova Scotians is that when they get a warning like this, they need to pay attention to it. The Red Cross continues to run three emergency shelter sites and the Halifax Regional Municipality have added five comfort stations to give residents without power a place to go and power up and recharge. Even as prepared as Nova Scotia was, the Dorian cleanup won't happen overnight. It'll take some time to get back to normal. Jesse Thomas, Global News, Halifax. Four crew members of a cargo ship are missing after the vessel overturned and caught fire near a port on the Georgia coast. And with the fire making it too risky for rescuers to go further inside the vessel, the clock is ticking. A nightmare at sea. Four people are still missing after this cargo ship overturned off the coast of Georgia. Tonight, the Coast Guard says it's too dangerous to keep looking for them. Once salvage professionals have determined the vessel to be stable, we will identify the best option to continue our rescue efforts for the four crew members who remain on board. The Golden Ray, on fire and listing heavily, put out a distress call just before 2 a.m., prompting the Coast Guard to issue an urgent bulletin. All stations, all stations, all stations. This is the United States Coast Guard. Coast Guard City report of a cargo ship, the vessel Golden Ray, capsized with 23 persons on board in the vicinity of St. Simon Sound. On board, 23 crew members and one pilot. Survivor are clear of the vessel. 20 were rescued overnight. Hold position here. The vessel had just left port on its way to Baltimore when it overturned in St. Simon Sound. Images show smoke billowing from the ship. And the black smoke has ceased, but we are unable to determine uh, specifically uh, without going inside uh, whether the fire is, uh, has been ex completely extinguished. Investigations and rescue operations both taking a backseat to a more urgent task, stabilizing this massive 656-foot vessel, still listing off the coast of Georgia. Sarah Harmon, NBC News. A powerful storm hit the Korean Peninsula this weekend, leaving at least eight people dead in North and South Korea. Typhoon Ling Ling swept along South Korea's west coast yesterday before making landfall in North Korea. The storm killed three people in the south, damaging buildings and knocking out power to 160,000 homes. North Korea state media says five people were killed and three others hurt. 460 houses and 15 public buildings were destroyed or damaged, along with 42 thousand hectares of farmland. It's the North's first official disclosure of casualties since Ling Ling hit. An elephant went on a rampage during an annual Buddhist festival in Sri Lanka. The pachyderm bolted from the group, trampling trainers and bystanders. At least 17 people were injured. No one was killed. Pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong marched to the U.S. consulate calling on President Donald Trump to liberate their city. Thousands of demonstrators chanted and waved American flags as riot police stood and watched. Protesters want the U.S. to pass a bill to support their cause. It proposes sanctions against Hong Kong and Chinese officials if they suppress democracy and human rights in the city.
They came from all over the world, gliding through deep peaks and valleys. Flyers from 11 countries competed this weekend in the Wingsuit Flying Championships in China. Participants jumped off a 10,000-foot peak and soared through the sky with only the fabric to keep them afloat. Each had to skim over the local square in Hunan province, going about 160 kilometers an hour. They then had to turn around and glide for another kilometer before landing. Wow. Canada's newest athletic star, Bianca Andreescu, tells us where she set her sights now. We'll have that story for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And boy, it was our turn to get some nasty weather last night, Yvonne. Yeah, it really kicked up just around this time yesterday in the interior. We had incredible photos. This is what it looks like right now outside of English Bay. And I wanted to show you just a few more photos from the storm that we did see yesterday. Fantastic, spectacular light show. Aaron sent this in from the Okanagan. Another great shot sent in from Brian. And the last one that I wanted to show you. This one was uh, pushing in towards the Caribou Green Lake. Thank you, Rob. And we had phenomenal photos as well as videos, so thank you for sending those in. The weather picture, yes, a few breaks out there, but the instability is going to pop up. We're not out of the clear just yet, and I'll have the timeline in which areas are going to see the potential for some thunderstorms once again. We're sitting at 18 degrees with a southeasterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. A cool one today with only a high of 19 degrees. We're actually right where we should be, the average, but not quite record-breaking. It's been significantly cooler. A record on the Almanac, 26 degrees set back in 1981. Highs today, they've dropped off from the interior over the past days. They were into the low 30s. 19 for Kelowna, areas near Trail up to 17. The peace topped out at 12 degrees in areas along the island. Victoria today bumping up to 18. We do still have some active weather, so the storm that rolled through across the southern half of the province, still working its way into the southeastern corners. The Columbia and Kootenai will see thunderstorms for the early evening. They will taper off. But in behind it, this is the next one maker and low that is going to push across the province and we will see that instability for metro vancouver and the risk of thunderstorms now the timeline of it by tomorrow morning, we have cloud cover, a chance of showers heading out for work or school. As we progress through the day, the instability will be there. We'll see the risk of a thunderstorm. Metro Vancouver, the Fraser Valley will be included within that and then pushing its way in towards the southern interior and southeastern areas. It's really anywhere south of the central interior. We'll see that instability for tomorrow. A much calmer day will be on our Tuesday. We'll still see a fair bit of cloud cover and there are some breaks on our Wednesday pushing in across the south. Coast. The peace tomorrow, chance of showers and easterly wind up to 30 kilometers per hour. White horse, bright and sunny, a very different weather picture. Highs tomorrow even getting up to 20 and well above the average of 13. Coastal sections at 18 degrees, a nice break across the northern half of the province. Monday, Tuesday, an increase in cloud cover working its way in on Wednesday. Caribou and central interior, it's a chance of showers, but anywhere to the south of it is we'll see the risk of thunderstorms. It's cooling off right across the board. Columbia and Kootenai with a high of 18. The Thompson Okanagan seen that drop off in temperatures with only 17 degrees. It'll rebound once again on Wednesday back into a mix of sun and cloud. Whistler, one more unsettled day, risk of a thunderstorm, a chance of showers on Tuesday. Along the island, right across the board for the south coast as well, we'll see the risk of thunderstorms. Your school day forecast tomorrow, be prepared. It is going to be cool. It's significantly cooler than what we saw last week. Lunch hour and for after school, we do have the risk of thunderstorms. Our five-day forecast, so we are looking at 
risk of thunderstorms tomorrow. Still cloud cover, chance of showers. A nice bright spot on our forecast will be a Wednesday up to 21 degrees. All right, around this time tomorrow, we'll know the winner of this year's Peony Prize Home. The 3,100-square-foot house, including all the appliances and furniture, will be relocated to Kelowna's Kirshner Mountain. The winning ticket will be drawn 6.30 Monday night. We'll be there live. Christy Gordon will be for the new, there for the news hour, so be sure to tune in. So excited to find out who the winner is. I Colleen, know. It's always such a house. Oh, it's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, when raptors fever swept the country earlier this year, Canada's slogan became, We the North. Well, now it's She the North, with Mississauga's Bianca Andreescu winning the U.S. Open and becoming the first Canadian to ever win a major singles in tennis. Global's Morgan Campbell now with the story of a young athlete who's making us all proud. It was such a good play, it's worth watching again. That moment Bianca Andreescu made Canadian history. And she's already setting her sights on what's next. I guess I have to start setting my goals a bit higher. Um, Let's say top three by the end of the year. And I don't know, win the WTA Tour Finals. Back in Canada, the team's loudest cheerleaders are the hometown crowd, those who connect with the 19-year-old whose family immigrated from Romania. She grew up and trained in Mississauga. Representing Canada, Canadian values, Canadian ethic, and like just everything that she stands for as a powerful immigrant woman is what it means to be Canadian. She's all the buzz around town. If you didn't know who Bianca Andreescu was last night, you do now, as she captured the Grand Slam singles title from veteran Serena Williams. Being from Mississauga uh, and being one of the best in the world, I guess that's just a huge accomplishment for Canada and Mississauga. Andreescu is taking some time to enjoy New York before returning home, and judging by the excitement surrounding her win, that homecoming will also be one for the history books. Morgan Campbell, Global News. Barry joins us now, and Yvonne's just reminding us that she's only nine. Yeah, and just turned 19 as well. So, yeah, her life is definitely turned around forever. She has made uh, six million U.S. dollars this year doing this as well. And now, you know, all the eyes of the world are on her. So I guess the, the thing now is can she keep it up? Because we've seen there have been a lot of tennis players who've won big tournaments. I mean, she Jeannie seems Bouchard pretty solid, though. kind of fell back. But uh, Bianca seems different. Her fight is at another level yeah. and uh, she's got good people. Her. Yes, and very mature and mm-hmm. uh, and the press love her because she's such a great quote, which is <laughs> but she's just a good person. Clip machine, yeah. so I like good to say. say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, what do you got coming up today? Well, uh, NFL, first NFL Sunday. So wow. if there are people locked up in their, <laughs> in their man right. caves or their woman <laughs> caves today, for hours upon end, we know what they were up to watching the uh, Seahawks uh, play their home opener against Cincinnati. So we'll have highlights of that and lots of NFL and another, speaking of tennis, oh. great match yesterday. But today, the men's final just ended five hours almost. Rafa Nadal and Daniel Medvedev, and it was classic and epic. So we'll have highlights of that, too. Fun, mm-hmm. fun. Very, a lot of very happy sports fans today. Yeah, at the start of the NFL season, there's so many things that go with the NFL season. Not only the games, but there's everyone's playing the fantasy football right. now. Not to, mention, the not to mention the snacks and the drinks. <laughs> True. He doesn't love that. All right, <laughs> thanks, Colleen. Uh, the Seahawks were 10-6 and six and a playoff team a year ago. That's where many feel they should slot in again this year. 
Not quite enough firepower to battle the Rams for top spot in the NFC West, but with Russell Wilson at quarterback, Pete Carroll calling the shots, and an adrenaline shot to the defense with the acquisition of Jadavian Clowney a week ago, you'd have to say the Seahawk Nation has reason to be optimistic. And there is Jadavian Clowney making his Seahawks debut. Uh, didn't have any sacks, but was uh, certainly there pressuring the quarterback like he does all the time. Russell Wilson signed that four-year, $140 million extension, finally got some rhythm in the second, hooks up with the rookie DK Metcalf, which led to this Chris Carson one-yard touchdown run, and the Seahawks led 7-3, but the Bengals respond. Cincinnati without their top receiver, A.J. Green, in this one, but uh, Andy Dalton still got the job done. A little flea fit flicker, hooks up with John Ross, nice little move, 33-yard touchdown. Bengals back in front, 10-7. Seahawks now. Russell Wilson likes this kid, Metcalf. Airs it out and finds him with the deep ball. 42-yard gain. And Seattle knocking on the door again. And that will lead to this Wilson to Chris Carson dump pass. He is so hard to bring down. And he will just get in for the touchdown. It was close. They reviewed it, but they said it was good. 14-10 Seattle. But the Bengals answered again. This pass looks like it should get picked off, but the uh, DB didn't time it very well, and John Ross makes the grab, takes it in for the touchdown with just seconds to go in the half. 17-14, Bengals at the break. Seattle defense coming up big in the third. The ball just slips out of Andy Dalton's hand right into the big mitts of D-lineman Al Woods saved the Seahawks some points there. The Bengals were in field goal range. Bengal defense was a problem today as well. They sacked Russell Wilson for a fourth time here. The Seahawks offense struggling a bit in the second half, but the rookie Metcalf bails him out again. Nice little toss by Wilson, and Metcalf goes and gets it. That's an exciting young player for the Seahawks, and that would lead to Wilson to Tyler Lockett, first catch of the game, a 44-yard touchdown. Seattle back out front, 21-17. But Cincinnati made it close. They kicked a field goal. They had one last chance to try to win it. They needed a miracle, really, to get into field goal range. Andy Dalton hit as he throws. It looks like an incompletion, but ruled a fumble on the field. It was reviewed, and the call stood. So the Seahawks win 21-20. Awkward, but effective. They'll take the win. NFC West favorites, the Rams starting on the road in Carolina. The Rams offense so dynamic last season. A little more meat and potatoes in their opener today. Malcolm Brown had a pair of short TD runs. The Rams were up 23-10. In the fourth, they put it away as Jared Goff goes to the tight end, Gerald Everett. Goff just 186 yards passing in the one touchdown, but good enough for the Rams who hold off Carolina 30-27. Giants and the Cowboys from Dallas. Zeke Elliott in the lineup after signing his big contract earlier this week. But the guy who's trying to get a new deal was the story. Quarterback Dak Prescott goes 28 yards to Blake Jarwin. Tied it up at 7. In the second, Prescott to the newly unretired Jason Witten, who came back after uh, being a TV commentator for a year. 14-7. Before half, Prescott to Amari Cooper. What a throw. 21 yards. And that's a great toss. Dropped it right in there. The boss, Jerry Jones, likes it. 21-7. Dallas at the half. More Prescott in the third. A fourth touchdown pass of the game. This one 25 yards to Randall Cobb as the Cowboys beat the Giants 35-17. More from the NFC. Falcons and the Minnesota Vikings. First quarter, Kirk Cousins is going to find Adam Thielen. 
That's a 23-yard touchdown as Thielen just gets in. 7-0 Vikings. Later in the first, Dalvin Cook bouncing that one to the outside. He is going to rumble 19 yards for the touchdown. 21-0 for the Purple guys at the half, and they'll put it away in the third. Cook with his second touchdown of the game, and the Vikings win their opener 28-12 over the Falcons. Titans and Browns, can Cleveland take that next step and get into the playoffs? Not today, they didn't. Tight game in the third until Marcus Mariota gets busy. Hooks up with Derrick Henry, and that screen executed perfectly. Henry in a dead sprint to the end zone, a 75-yard touchdown. Titans lead 22-13, and then in the fourth, Mariota with a very nicely delivered football over the middle to Delaney Walker. 11-yard touchdown made it 29-13 to Tennessee. And then same combination later in the quarter. Titans rack up 28 straight points in a 14-minute span and blow out the Browns in Cleveland, 43-13. And finally, Patriots and Steelers. Antonio Brown won't officially be able to sign his contract with New England tomorrow, so not playing tonight, but... So far, they have not needed him. Tom Brady will dump it off to Josh Gordon, who breaks a tackle there and then takes it in. 7-0 New England as the uh, Patriots, the defending Super Bowl champs, taking on the Steelers. Both of these teams have won the most Super Bowls ever, six. And right now, New England's got the lead in the second, 17 to nothing. Bianca Andreescu won the first of what she hopes will be many Grand Slam titles Saturday at the U.S. Open. Now to win seven matches with all the pressure at these tournaments is quite a feat. So when you see a guy like Rafa Nadal doing that consistently for 15 years, it makes you appreciate how great the Spaniard is. He is more than just a clay court specialist. He has 12 of the 18 have come at Roland Garros, but he's won all four Grand Slam tournaments, sitting on 18 Grand Slam titles, three of them U.S. Opens, the last coming in 2017. First set on serve, but Rafa elevates his game at crunch time. Huge forehand sets up the put away. Broke Medvedev, won the first two sets. Looked like he would cruise. Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones on hand. But Medvedev didn't quit. Third set, the young Russian crushes the winner down the line, takes the third set, and we play on. In the fourth set, Medvedev comes up with another great shot. Return winner inside the line to break Nadal and force a fifth set. They were on serve in that fifth. When they have this epic rally, we're just showing you the end of it. It lasted like 45 seconds. Rafa will run it down, hits the winner, breaks Medvedev, goes up 3-2. So many amazing points in this match. Both players with just incredible guts and determination. Rafa will somehow keep this point alive right here. And Medvedev hits out. The crowd just roaring and loving it as we approach five hours of epic tennis. Medvedev fought off two match points, but on the third, the big serve and the return is long. And Rafa digging deep captures his fourth U.S. Open title, 19th Grand Slam title overall in typical Rafa fashion, fighting till the end. All right, baseball now. Jays and Rays from Tampa. The Rays in a wild card spot with just three weeks left in the regular season. Toronto trying to finish strong, and Randall Gritchuk's had a good year. It's a two-run homer to center. 2-1 Jays, but the Rays have been on a tear. Avisail Garcia with a two-run blast to left as Tampa sweeps the Jays. 8-3 the final. Rays have won five in a row. They're 86-59, and but they only lead Cleveland by two and a half in the wild card, so nothing clinched yet with 17 games left to go. All right, Formula One. 
Italian Grand Prix pole sitter Charles Leclerc sitting on the pole for hometown Ferrari at Monza. Ferrari's last win at Monza delivered from Fernando Alonso way back in 2010. Getting through the opening chicane clean, priority number one, and Leclerc does this, uh, just that. Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas pushing hard the entire race, but Leclerc was up to the challenge, never surrendered his lead. He won last week, and he wins, giving Ferrari that victory they so dearly crave every year at the Italian Grand Prix. Back-to-back wins for Charles Leclerc, Bottas second, Lewis Hamilton third, and Canadian Lance Stroll was 12th. And Man Cup, it's uh, Victoria Shamrocks were up by three goals in the third period. This was from game two last night. Peterborough came back, tied it, and won it in overtime. So the series now tied at one. They have the day off today, game three tomorrow in Victoria. And rugby last night from BC Poise, Canada and the U.S., the final tune-up for both teams before the Rugby World Cup later this month in Japan. The U.S. beat the Canadians pretty badly a few weeks ago in America, but the Canadians were ready on this night under two minutes in. Gordon McCrory, the scrum half, scoops it up, races in, and Canada was up. 12-0 at one point, 12-10 at the half. Second half now tied at 15. Canada loses possession deep in their own territory, and the uh, Eagles make them pay. Martin Yusefo, nice little stutter step, and powers his way in as the U.S. take the lead, 20-15. Canada had its chances, though. They have it deep in stoppage time at the end of the match, but the Americans with some stout defending, and they hold off Canada to win 2015. A strong effort in defeat for Canada, though. They'll try to ride that momentum into the World Cup in Japan. They open September 26th against the Italians. Alrighty. Well, it was quite a weekend to remember in the Maritimes for all the right and wrong reasons. Newlyweds? Yeah. Congratulations. When, when did you get married? Last night. <laughs> yeah. Yesterday, around noon. It, did you know that there was a hurricane? Uh, we didn't a year and a half ago when we started planning it. No kidding. They got married in the eye of a Category 2 hurricane that was later downgraded to a post-tropical storm. Dorian, of course. But still pretty impressive that they went through with it all, given the circumstances. Chief uh, Global Chief Meteorologist Anthony Farnell caught up with the battle-tested newlyweds to find out how their special day went. But as the week went on, we were watching it, and we were supposed to get married at 5.30, then it got bumped up to 3, and then noon. Two and, hours. <laughs> and did uh, did your guests show up? How did it go? Uh, we were it amazed. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised how well it went, actually. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody almost up. everybody showed up. Yeah. That's yeah, nice. So uh, that'll be quite a story for the grandchildren. But uh, first, the couple needed to get some photos. Yeah. <laughs> with all that debris in the background, of course. Uh, the power of love, stronger <laughs> than the fearsome force of Mother Nature. There's proof. Good for them. Well said. You get through a hurricane and all of a sudden leaving the toothpaste cap off doesn't seem like such a big deal. No, exactly. That's great perspective. <laughs> uh, in our situation here? Uh, we are looking at an unsettled start uh -huh. to the work week. Uh, we will see a chance of showers and for the afternoon across Metro Vancouver, the southern half of the province, risk of a thunderstorm. It starts to taper off on our Tuesday and a bright spot will be on our Wednesday a few sunny breaks and drier conditions. Be prepared for a cool day tomorrow, too. Okay. I don't mind it. It's yeah. fall. Like, no, it's not fall officially. Transitioning. It, it We're transitioning. transitioning. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us.